salvation. You are the giver of life change, Father, that when we come to you, that, Father, you take the brokenness in our lives and you move it away from us, Father. You restore, you heal, you make better. Father, where we are simply a lump of clay, you shape it into the image that you want when we turn our lives over to you. And, Father, we just pray this morning that we would be willing to do that. Father, you stand ready to make a difference in our lives. And the question is, will we turn our lives over to you or selfishly keep them to ourselves? Father, one of the, easy way to do, one of the easiest ways of doing that is just being able to go to you and to ask for forgiveness for any sin or any struggle that we have in our lives, any brokenness, any selfishness, anything that we've done wrong. So, Father, we're just going to take a moment right now to go to you and just put all our cards on the table, each of us individually. Let's just do that now and ask for forgiveness. And, Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, so that we may be able to come and worship you today without anything holding us back, Lord, that we may be able to have right relationship with you, that, Father, as, as we confess and as we admit that some of the things that we've considered to be gray areas really are white fences in our lives, that, Father, that are holding us back from you, Lord, the closer we will grow in relationship with you. Father, we pray this morning um, that you would just send the Holy Spirit into our lives to help us to be the person that you want us to be. Father, we don't start out life that way, but we know by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to be transformed um, into the image of your Son, and that's what we ask today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody in there? Brought you something. Those really help cut out the glare in your ongoing battle with the sun. Thank you. You're welcome. Quality throw, Chief. Nice to see you. Very nice to see you, actually. Sometimes in relationships, it's not how much we say, but really um, what we say. In this movie clip, we see that communication is about quality rather than quantity. Uh, one of the things that we as all people struggle with is the issue of quantity, or at least most of us, 
perhaps some of us, lack of quantity. Um, and one of the things, though, that we are called to do from Scripture, from the Bible, is to communicate with quality rather than with quantity. Well, we're going to talk about this today. We're in our new four-part series, the double-edged sword, right? Um, that sounds militaristic, so we didn't put slap it up on the sign outside. Uh, we didn't want anybody to think, you know, get the wrong idea. Um, but we talk about this, this is a metaphor in English, right? What is a double-edged sword? A double-edged sword is a metaphor, it's a, it's, a, it's a slang word in English, and it basically means that it's something that can cut both ways, right? A double-edged sword is something that can cut for good, something that can cut for bad, it can work um, both ways. Well, to this week, uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be starting our four-week series, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly of Our Mouths, right? Um, one of our values here at Berryessa Valley Church, if you've never seen our value statement, I would encourage you to check that out. But one of our values uh, may seem unusual to people, um, perhaps they're, especially people who have been in church for a while, because we start with values like, you know, Jesus is number one, and the Bible is the Word of God, right? And we're all good on that. But if you go down the list, I think it's like number 10 or 11 or 12 of our 12 values, but one of our values is to practice good communication. Why is that? Why is good communication important? Why does the Bible spend a lot of time on how we speak to each other? Well, because we hurt each other, and we can help each other more oftentimes by the power of our mouths, by the power of our tongue, than anything else, right? I mean, I could call all of you names right now, and you would get so mad and so distracted from the service that you would run out of here and never come back again. And I wouldn't even have to use bad names, right? I could use just PG names, and you would get so mad, you would say, that Pastor Douglas, I can't believe he said that about me. I'm never coming back to this church again, right? And all it is is just some little word that came out of my mouth. At the same time, um, it is possible, although all of us struggle with this issue, or at least I certainly do, it is possible for me to say something to you that will make you feel good, that will make you feel loved, that will make you feel special. The tongue, the mouth, our speaking, our communication um, is truly a double-edged sword because it can cut deeply into someone and wound them greatly, but it also can heal, it can bless, it can forgive, and it can ask for forgiveness. And there's nothing on earth quite as powerful as the tongue um, in its ability and communication in general in its ability to both bless and the hurt. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to spend about a few weeks. Oh, I'll get the strategy in a minute. Let me just read this verse. Proverbs 18:21 says the tongue can bring life or death. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences, right? And the thing is is that we all love to talk. We all love to to hear ourselves talk, right? Um, and so when we talk, we're going to reap the consequences one way or the other. Either consequences for good or consequences for bad. And this is the reason why communication is so important. Well, here's our strategy. This is what we're going to do. Um, we're going we're gonna to spend about, I think, about two weeks on the good parts of communication, and then we're going to spend about two weeks on the bad parts of, good communication, of, of communication, right? So we're going to deal with some good, and then we're going to deal with some bad. Now, today we're going to start out with this issue of finding the right words. We're going to look at a section in Proverbs that talks about how we sort of figure out what words we are to speak. The reason why I showed the clip this morning, um, John Cusack there and that little kid, is because um, even though it's a good Father's, Father's Day kind of clip, and of course how we talk to our children is, is incredibly paramount, that's why I rearranged the schedule so that this series would start on Father's Day, 
a lot of times it's not the quantity again it's the quality of when we communicate with our friends when we communicate with our coworkers, but especially when we communicate um, with our family so today we're going to look at very simple passage in proverbs i know we've had some difficult passages over the last uh, couple of weeks and months this is going to be simple this is going to be easy good take home here you can go here and leave here today if you don't stay for luau you can go home and it's easily accessible um, to you so we're going to find the right words today we're going to see what the bible says in proverbs chapter 10 um, verses 19 through 21 we're going to look at these very carefully but they're very very simple okay proverbs chapter 10 uh, verses 19 through 21 here's what the bible says in this little snippet here about good communication too much talk leads to sin be sensible and keep your mouth shut right now i love the bible because if you if you've never read the bible um you think the bible is flowery perhaps well you think it's either hellfire and brimstone um or you think it's you know jesus loves you this i know for the bible tells me so right but the thing is the bible is immensely practical and it's blunt sometimes because sometimes practicality requires a certain amount of bluntness so too much talk leads to sin be sensible and keep your mouth shut now from that point here's what the bible says the words of the godly are like sterling silver the heart of a fool is worthless the words of the godly encourage many but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense okay and so the bible says listen what we're going to do is we're going to limit our talk we're going to focus on what is good about our communication and then there's two things that you're going to want to remember so let's just take this up here this morning three ideas you can follow along in your handout with me um, but we're just going to walk down through these simple ideas simple but immensely practical um, for our life today first idea we're going to talk about is that we must evaluate all of our words um, that we must evaluate all of our words i think one of the challenges is um, is that when we communicate with anybody when we communicate with it doesn't matter whether it's coworkers or friends or family members at this point just in general communication um, one of our struggles is is to think about and consider the words that are coming out of our mouths right i mean uh if you're like me my struggle is is uh just to be honest is that the words are already out of my mouth before i think about them how many of you are like that here all right a few of you are smiling so i know that you, you don't want to raise your hand and that's okay but you're smiling because that's the way we are now the thing is all of us struggle with this so if you're like me and you're in that in that group then don't worry about it because we'll pick on the other folks later right but we must evaluate all of our words we don't want to just simply let our words fly and then come and think about them later let's talk about some things here the more we talk the more we can get in trouble right um this is something that the bible talks about and this was surprising to me as i was studying for this this week because when we think about this um it is sometimes in our culture it is good or it is considered good for us to be verbose for us to be loquacious for us to what run our mouths to talk a lot right um if you are somewhere where it's uncomfortable right it is very tempting for us to do what for us to fill in the gaps of silence with more words more communication right if you're at a team meeting um at work and your boss comes in and everyone's sitting there and your boss says okay i need to know what's going on with this project and you all know that the project is not going very well at all right there's going to be what silence right because everyone's going to be afraid to say anything but what happens when the first person says something the dam breaks right and then you've got a lot of talking and a lot of talking that sometimes don't really help 
the situation, right? I mean, Jesus says it best. Um, well, he doesn't say it best, but he says it like here in Proverbs, which is let your yes be yes and your no be yo. no, right? Because what he's trying to say is that we must carefully choose the words that we're going to say because the more we talk, the more we can get in trouble. You know, the other day... Um, I was uh, I was talking to I was coming home and um, I'm trying to remember what the exact uh, specific thing that I got was um, but I had purchased uh, something I think it was a, a movie rental uh, for my wife right and I came in and I said hey honey I got you such and such movie and she said oh okay that's cool I've been wanting to see that and I said well okay cool I really wanted the other one but they didn't have that so I just got this one because there wasn't anything else there right but what did I do I just undermined my whole compliment to her, right? Um, and so what happened was is she went from feeling good that I had picked out something specially for her, right, to feeling eh, just whatever because I just got the last thing that, w that was available and it just happened to be something that she liked. And so I did not get any brownie points for that, okay? Um, and so that's a silly example, of course. But the more we talk, the Bible says, the more easy it is for us to get in trouble. The more words we throw out there, the more tempting it is for us to expand. Have you ever been in a situation um, where, a difficult situation, where afterwards, two minutes afterwards, you said, oh man, I wish I hadn't said that. Okay, are you alive here today? Are you breathing? Because if you're alive, you've said that, right? We've all done that. Because the problem is, the more we talk, the more trouble that we can get into. Let's look at this passage again. Too much talk leads to sin, right? And we remember that sin is what? Not just doing what's bad, but just missing the mark for God's will for our lives. Last week, we talked about how um, it is, it, well, last week especially, we talked about how tempting it is for us to make a gray area, um, I'm sorry, a white a fence into a gray area, right? We talked about last week how we struggle with these fences that we want to run over, right, because we want to get outside of God's will for our lives, God says, don't cross this fence because this is, this, is, this is outside of where you need to be in your life. You need to come towards me, right? And, and it's easy for us to rationalize away and say that, you know what, that um, these fences are gray areas. How often do we do that in our communication? How often do we say something, and in our back of our minds, we think our conscience says to us, you know, maybe that wasn't the best thing to say. But then we say, oh, you know, who cares because, you know what, I can say my piece. I get to say what I want to. I, I mean, I, I forget what they think. I, I, I get to say, I, you know, I, I get to say what I say, right? What happens when two people do that to each other? Well, that's what we do all the time, right? Which is why we have crashes in communication, as Rex just said, crash, that's right. We crash and we have this massive communication breakdown, right? Because we're all trying to share our point of view. Now, the thing is, is that one of the things that's interesting is, and we don't have time to dwell on it now, but um, certainly one of the techniques for diffusing a situation is silence, right? I mean, there's times when somebody gets really upset with you, and if you simply start arguing and accusing and debating back with them, that you're going to just do what? Raise the intensity, right? And so w when we think about these different examples, right, it's easy to see that when we evaluate our words, when we allow silence at times to, to be golden, as we're going to talk about in a minute, that when we evaluate our words, that it allows us to say something that is more quality than quantity. And quality is what it's all about for us. 
Um, one theologian said it like this, when a person talks too much, that is a good sign that his words are not hearing, right? This is his reflection on um, this passage, this verse in Proverbs, and, and, and sometimes it's true. Do you know a coworker who just talks all the time? Anybody know a coworker who just talks all the time? Okay, all right. So, so some of you, right? And, and, and the problem is, what do you want to do? Tune them out, right? What happens if that coworker one day decides that they want to bless you with something? Are you going to listen? No, you're going to be tuned out. Now, how does this relate to us as believers? Well, the problem is, is that if we go to work day after day, right, and we're the one who is talking with a lot of, eh, not so good quality, then when it comes time for us to talk to them about faith issues, what do they do? Tune us out, right? Tune us out. That's what they do. You know, there's a, there's a, it's, it's a, it's sort of a joke. It's a, it's an old standing idea that a person who says nothing can never be accused of anything, right? I mean, if you go to your workplace, you go to a party, you go to a family gathering, right? And you go in and you don't say anything to smile, don't be unfriendly, but you don't really, you don't say anything to anyone, no one can think what? Bad of you. They may think you're quiet, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not giving you, I don't want to give you the impression of going to the party and then sitting in the corner with your head against the wall, right? But no one can think bad of you because you've never said anything bad, right? We think bad of people because of what they say to each other. I, I would submit to you that if the average person um, went to the mall, if any of us, we could take a field trip, we could test this. This is just an idea. Um, we could go to the mall, and if we were walking down the mall and someone approached us smiling, we would assume that, and not like crazy smile, just a regular smile, and we, uh, they approached us, and we got ready to say something to them, we would assume that they mean what? Friendship, right? Because they're smiling. But if they then say, hey, you're really stupid fat, right? With a smile on your face, on their face, what are you going to do? You're going to be mad. You don't want to be their friend, right? Of course, I just picked stupid fat. You could put in whatever word you want, right? Because the problem is, is that when we talk, our quality and our quantity are issues that we struggle with, right? We struggle with it because we want our, our quality to be better. Do we want to tell our family with a smile on our face how much we don't like them, how much we hate them, how much we annoy, they annoy us, right? The problem is, is that we do that all the time because we add extra words that don't need to be there. An obvious example of that would be name-calling, but there's lots of other words that we add, lots of other things that we say, lots of other, you know, um, phrases that we throw in, right? It's like when you give a backhanded compliment as another example, right? I'm just going to throw out lots of examples today. But that would be another good example, right, of us saying a little bit too much than we should. When we limit our words, we can more carefully and wisely choose what we'll say. That's really the key, right? Because when we weigh our words, when we think about them, when we consider them before we speak, it allows us to, to, to actually then pick the words that are of the right quantity. Now, uh, quality and quantity too. Let me ask you a question here because, uh, you know, when we look at the Bible, Jesus did not always speak to people in a I'm Mr. Nice Guy way, right? 
But do you think that he weighed carefully his words before he used them? Well, based upon the precision of the language that is used in the Bible, I would say he absolutely did. He absolutely did. That he absolutely did think about it very carefully before he responded, based just upon the precision of the words. You never see him say something that's not directly related to either A, the point he's trying to make, or B, the conversations at hand, right? In fact, if you've ever had a Bible, you'll know that the words in red are not really that many percentage-wise of the Bible, even the Gospels, even the New Testament, right? Now, there's teaching segments, but a lot of the conversations, you'll notice that the Pharisees spend as much time or more or the disciples spend as much time or as more as Jesus speaking when we're not talking about the teaching segments, right? When Christ spoke, it seems to me very clearly from the Bible that he used very precise language about what he was intending to mean, right? And so the thing is, is that when we limit our words, we can more carefully and wisely choose what we will say. What if we could go back in time, and every time we ever felt like, man, I wish I hadn't said that two minutes ago, we could go back in time, and carefully choose our words. Will we do that? I would. I mean, give me the time machine right now. I would do that. Because it would repair a whole lot of what? Damage done. Right? That's what it would do. A lot of damage done it would repair. So when we limit our words, we are, can more carefully and wisely choose what we will say. Again, the Bible says here, too much talk leads to sin, which means it leads us outside of God's plan for our lives. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. We could say this, that silence is not necessarily better, but it is wiser at times, right? It's not necessarily always better, but it is wiser at times. I mention that because some of us will use silence as a weapon, right? And, and that is un, unfortunate too, because then our lack of words are being used as a weapon. But silence is not necessarily better, but sometimes it is wiser, right? If you hold your tongue, you can never be accused of saying something you shouldn't have right? Now, you could argue the converse. You could argue, well, pastor, but if you don't speak up, then you can be accused of not speaking up and saying what is the right thing at that time. Uh, totally, I understand. But let's be honest. Most of us, more than 50%, as well as the people that the Bible has in view here, our problem is speaking up too much, okay? Or more specifically, our problem is just speaking up too frequently with too many words that are not positive words, but are negative words right? We add extra things on there. L let me give you an example. Um, I am not sure, I, I, I am a parent, and I don't know if I'm a good parent or a bad parent, but you know, you try the best you can. And um, the thing is, is that when, when one of our kids do something that is wrong and we need to punish them, right, it, it is very easy for us to say, okay, if we're going to do time out, for example, with Wyatt, we say, okay, Wyatt, you know, I'm sorry, but you know, this is not appropriate, time out, okay? But it's very easy for me to do what? Keep talking there, you know, because I'm mad. He, you know, he did something wrong, and I want to say, go to your room, go to your room right now, time out, go to your room, right? And then when he gets out of time out, what do I want to do? Do I, I want to lecture him, right? I want to say, nah, 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 right? That's what I want to say. In fact, I've got this whole diatribe ready to just give him, right? But I often wonder if it would, and Noel and I have talked about this a lot, so it's not wondering it meaning right now, but I've often wondered, and Noel has mentioned this to me a lot, if it would just be more effective just to say, here's what it is. 
and just leave it at that. I mean, people are not stupid, right? You can say your piece without then giving 80,000 different arguments and reasons why they should and trying to manipulate them and that sort of thing. You know, I struggle with this because I'm a pastor, right? And so part of that is public speaking, right? And so I'm used, I'm used to giving lots of examples, right? I give you guys three, four, five examples so that that way you can, you know, sort of relate to them, take them home, because not everybody's going to relate to every example, right? But in real life, sometimes I'll be out with, you know, having lunch with the guys, and, I'll, and after like four examples, I'm like, dude, I got it. <laughs> you don't need to give me another example, right? And so being able to just be silent, being able to just, and of course silence, will breed listening, but just being able to be silent does provoke and promote a certain bit of wisdom in our lives. Second idea real quickly this morning is that we must discover the origin of our words. Um, this is sort of a little bit more where the rubber meets the road. This first part um, opens to these two things. We must discover the origin of our words. Verse 20 says, the words of the godly. Okay, so that means the words of those people who wish to follow Jesus, who who want to have relationship with God, who do have relationship with God, are like sterling silver. The heart of a fool is worthless. Let's talk about this issue. Our words come from our hearts, not our mouths, right? How many times have we said something that we wish we, had, we, wish we hadn't said, right? And we say, oh, you know, it just kind of came out of my mouth, right? But that's not true. Even though it's an English expression, it's not true. Where do our words come from? Our words come from our hearts, they come from our minds, they come from our will, and they come from our desire. You know, um, a lot of times, as an example, we say in our culture um, that uh, if somebody makes a joke, they say, oh, you know, I'm just kidding, right? But then we say, wait a minute, you know, if you thought it, then you really meant it, right? So the problem is, is that, why is that? Why do we say that? Because we know that this idea, this joke, especially a bad joke that hurt somebody's feelings, right? That joke originated somewhere. It didn't just come out of outer space and shoot through the atmosphere like a meteor and come out of my mouth towards you, right? If I call Victor fat this morning, it's not coming from space and shooting out there and hitting him. No, it's not, right? No, it's not. Somewhere in my heart, in my mind, I have thought about that. And I've wanted to say it, and it came out, right? Here's the thing. Even more importantly, is that not only does the origin of our words come from our heart and not our mouths, the origin of our words betray who we are. They betray our hearts. Our words come from our hearts, not our mouths. Listen, if, um, if, <clears throat> if you go to the movies this weekend, you go to the movies and you go see something PG-13. I don't know what's playing right now, so I can't tell you. But PG-13 means if you're 13 years old, um, you can go watch it. Now, I know culture decides that, not us. But you go to the movies, and um, <clears throat> while you're at the movies, you hear a lot of language that would be in a PG-13 movie, right? But then you come to church today, and you hear one of our leadership team, me, someone like that, using those words the same way the movie does. You leave the movie, you don't really think about it, right? You think, oh, you know, maybe it's funny, ha, 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 right? But if you come here and you hear me talk to Ramir that way, what are you going to think? See, I, all right, I can't, I can't use the words. You're just going to have to visualize 
the way PG-13 movies, the language they use, okay? So lots of cursing. Let's just put it that way. Lots of vulgarity. Okay, but if you heard me speak to Ramir that way, what would you think? You would think something bad of me, right? Come on, you would. You, you would not just sit there. If I, if I started calling Ramir words that appear in PG-13 movie, you would not think good of me, right? If Chuck did that, you would not think good of me. You'd want to fire me, <laughs> some of you, right? Say, that pastor doesn't even believe right? That's what would happen. Why is that? Why is that? It's because you are thinking about where those words come from, right? At least to a certain degree. Now, some of you may just be a morality thing. You may just think, well, the pastor shouldn't wear this, shouldn't say this, shouldn't do this, right? But you would be concerned about the heart of the person, right? But why wouldn't you be concerned about the heart of the Hollywood movie director that put that up there? Let me just get a little closer to home. When you speak without goodness to your friends, to your family members, or they speak that way to you, do we give them a pass or do we realize that there's something wrong in their heart? When we hear ourselves speak and we look in the mirror, do we realize that our heart is straying from God when we speak that way? Are we willing to admit that? Because that's a really hard, hard admission, let me tell you. That is a very hard admission. Because we justify and we rationalize our words. They deserved it. They shouldn't have spoken that way to me. You don't understand who I am, right? And we rationalize it away. But here's the key. The Bible says that, it is, that if we are desiring to be of God, that if we are godly, then we evaluate our words and that we make sure that the words that come out of our mouths uh, line up with where our heart is. You see, if our heart is as, as broken, and I don't mean broken in the uh, sinful way, but is as broken and desperate for God and to know Him and desire Him, if our heart is that way, desiring God, then the words that come out of our mouth should do what? Desire God, right? It should be words that let people know that we desire God, even if we're not speaking directly about God, right? But if our heart is as good as a Hollywood movie, as an example, you know, a PG-13 one or an R one, if we want to just be real honest here this morning, right? Then it betrays who we are and who we are trying to be. You know, here's the interesting thing. The Bible says here, if our heart is right, our words are a proven value. This is really cool. The words of the godly are like sterling silver. The heart of a fool is worthless. So here's what Proverbs does. By the way, just let me, I, I should have done this earlier. Proverbs does things like this. Proverbs the in, in and of themselves are sort of a double-edged sword in a way, although it's not really double-edged. It's like a two-part. So Proverbs will say something A, and then it'll flip the, the obvious, I mean the obverse side, the reverse side, B, right? And they're related. So here's the thing. The words of the godly are like sterling silver, but the heart of a fool is worthless, right? And it's contrasting sterling silver with the worthlessness of the words of a fool, right? But if our heart is right, our words are a proven value. Why does the Bible use this imagery of sterling silver? Well, anybody know anything about, about silver? Ladies, any, any of you? I mean, guys might too. If you're going to the flea market, how do you tell whether it's sterling or whether it's just tin plates? How do you tell? Come on, the video clue is up here. I know it's not many of you because we're all looking forward to luau. What do you do? It's stamped on there, right? That's the way you tell whether it's sterling or not. You always look on there for the stamp, and why do you do that? 
because if the stamp is there, you know it's real. If there's no stamp, do you, and the guy says, oh man, I'm sure this is sterling, uh, this is an antique, it's sterling, oh yeah, and you're looking for a stamp, you don't see a stamp, do you buy it? I mean, if you really love it and it fits your decor, whatever, fine, okay? Just don't pay sterling prices for it, right? But do you buy it as sterling? No, right? Because it's not of proven value. Listen, it's the same way. When our hearts are lined up to God, then our words will line up with God and that they will be of proven value. Think about the person that you know the, that you believe in your life, don't, and not me, don't, don't use me in this example, but the person that you know who loves the Lord more than anyone else, the most godly person that you can think of. Okay, don't use me, but the most godly person that you can think of. If you go to them to talk to them about anything, doesn't even have to be an advice situation, what kind of words are you going to get from them? Are they going to talk to you like a Hollywood film, PG-13 or R? No, they're not, right? Why not? And more importantly, why would you go to them to begin with? Because you know that their words are proven in value. Why? Because their heart is proven in value. Their heart is aligned with God, and their words are going to be more closely aligned with God than not. So this is the thing. When we speak, we want to make sure that we speak with proven value. Listen, if you have children, you have a spouse, you have a dog, whatever, and you want to speak to them, wouldn't it be great to know that the words that you are going to speak are going to do good in their lives rather than bad? I mean, if you could know that, if you could know that you have the power to say something that's going to bring them up, build them up, raise them up, would you do it? But see, the Bible alludes to the fact that that is a possibility for us to know. The words of the godly are like sterling silver. The heart of a fool is worthless. The words of the godly are like sterling silver, right? Because they have been measured and tested and proven to be good, right? And so it starts with where our heart is. It can't start with our mouths, right? Because the, the words don't come from outer space and shoot through our mouths, right? It starts with our heart. And when our hearts have been tested and proven in purity, then what happens is our words follow from them. Here's the answer. You want to be able to speak with goodness and integrity and love to the people around you? Then your heart has to be proven and has to be real. Let me say it another way. Now, I'm not an expert in sterling silver. I honest, I'll be honest with you, I didn't research it, so we're going to just have to play this one by ear. But um, sterling is 92.5% silver and... 7.5% non-silver, correct? Stamp 92, 92.5 is what it is. 925 out of 1,000, I believe what it is. Okay, somebody's saying yes, okay. Um, so here's the thing. That's the grade of purity that's there, right? The Bible tells us that if I hear you speak, I can test the grade of purity of your relationship with God by your words. How many of you are 92.5% pure? Right. No, none of us. Okay, sure. But here's the thing. If you're 10%, that's not where God wants you to be. I mean, better than 0%, not even in relationship with him, right? But if you're 10%, 20%, 30%, whatever, you can know with provenness 
that you can speak words of goodness, but it starts with your heart. And the more your heart is attuned to God and proven in relationship with Him and faith and integrity and covenantal uh, commitment to Him, then the more proven your words will be by the very nature of them. Can you imagine Mother Teresa, just an example, uh, dropping the F-bomb? Okay, I'm sorry. Let's keep, I'll try to, maybe that's not PG. Dropping a bad word on someone else, right? We can't. Why not? Because we believe in our hearts that her words are proven, right? That her heart, even more so, is proven. So the easiest way for us to be able to get our words under control and speak with integrity and goodness is for our hearts to follow through. And you know what? Nothing will cut through bad people faster than good words, which is what Jesus did, right? You have a guy at work that you just want to curse up and down, right? That's not the answer because you're just playing on their level. But when your heart becomes pure and you hold back and you consider your words and then you speak with goodness and integrity directly at them, don't hold back, directly at them, it will cut through them like a what? Like a sword, right? It will cut through them that way. Listen, here's the thing. Third idea, we must use our weapons, though, to build. Here's what we want to do, right? We've got to use our weapons to build. This is real quickly as we finish up here this morning. We must use our weapons to build. We each have a weapon in our mouth, right? We each have this double-edged sword that we can bless or that we can curse, that we can damage or that we can heal. Again, I could take all of you outside right now. I've seen enough movies. I can damage you, you know? Or I could say something probably really nice that would make you feel like I really love you and that I really appreciate you, right? It's equally possible. Where the rubber meets the road is that in our day-to-day lives, it is the condition of our heart that will determine how we speak to each other. That's what it's going to do. It will determine the condition of our heart. I didn't use that example earlier very well because what I was trying to say is, is that if e- me, even if you go watch a movie and they use all kinds of off-color language and then you come and you hear me or a leader at our church use that kind of language, you would think that their heart was wrong, right? You would say, something's wrong. You would say, I don't want to go here because something's wrong with their heart, right? We all have bad days. But over and over again, certainly, there's a brokenness, there's a disconnect, there's a problem there. If we're going to use the weapon that God gave us, and we're going to blunt it, and we're going to make it into something that's meaningful, we're going to have to use it to build. Here's what the Bible says. The words of the godly encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. Our mouths have the ability to nourish not just us, but others. Now, in the New American Standard and some of the other more literal that some of you have, um, the translation is a little bit different. Um, And basically what it says there, uh, maybe a little more literal one, it says the words of the godly will feed or nourish those around them, right? But fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. And so the thing is, the Bible here talks about how our words will nourish and encourage and actually feed those around us. Our mouths have the ability to nourish not just us, right? We put food in them, but to nourish others as well. What do I mean by that? What is the Bible? It's not me. But what does the Bible mean by that, right? 
It means that basically when we speak goodness, when we build up people, when we say things good and encouraging and blessing to other people, right, that it feeds them, right? They just don't feel good, but that when you actually encourage or bless someone, that it actually is like food and nourishment that makes them stronger and makes them healthy. Remember that in the ancient world, right, food was not considered something... You, you didn't go out to a buffet and eat all you could eat in the ancient world, right? Food was too precious, right? So when you had food, any food that you had, you ate it because it would build you up and it would sustain you for the next day or next week or whatever of your life, right? Look, it's the same way here that when we share words of wisdom, of love, of goodness, of value with other people, it sustains them. Hey, you know what? What if I took Ramir? And uh, I told Verley that Ramirez is going to come over to my house for a weird psychology experiment um, for, um, for uh, a couple of, uh, maybe say a couple of weeks. And um, so Verley says, you know, sure, I'm tired of Ramirez, and so um, that would be awesome. You can have him for a week or two, right? So I take Ramirez over to my house, and as part of a weird psychology experiment, I feed him nothing but ho-hos and call him stupid for a couple of weeks. Hey, stupid, you want your ho-ho? Right? How's he going to feel after a couple of weeks? Well, he's probably going to be dead. <laughs> right? He's going to feel horrible. He's going to feel horrible both physically, but also how? Emotionally and spiritually, right? Because what I'm doing is I'm feeding him bad stuff both places, right? When we call each other names, when we speak bad to each other, when we say things that are hurtful, when we use our mouth to damage other people, especially our family and our friends, we are not sustaining them. We are taking the food that they need out of their mouths and throwing it in the garbage pit. That's what we're doing. How can we nourish our children? You know? These little guys and these little gals that are our kids, right, our grandkids, you know, they're even more fragile and even more precious than an adult, right? We're, we're, we're jaded. We're cynical. We're already damaged, right? But when I think about trying to communicate with my son, you know, it's so challenging to figure out what are the words that he needs me to say. Not that I want to say, right? Because there's times when I want to say something like, hey, you dumbs, why are you doing this, right? But the words that he needs me to say so that he will grow up to be a good, godly man, right? Your kids, your grandkids, right? What are the words that they need to hear you say? Even your spouse. Yeah, I know, they're big kids, right? But what do the kids in your life, how can we nourish them? What do they need to hear you say real quickly a bad mouth brings starvation to everyone that's what happens right you know <clears throat> nothing says lack of love like the co-worker who runs around the office gossiping slandering and accusing everyone there what does that do have you ever been in a workplace environment where you have someone who just goes off on everyone and is just always slandering and accusing and gossiping about everyone there what does it do to the whole workplace what does it do starves it doesn't it brings it down and starves it, right? To the point where it's no more fun. It's, it's not fun. It's not, even, it's not even palatable for anyone there, right? 
And so when we think about the way our words work, the Bible says that our words have the ability to feed and nourish other people when we use them for good. And so the challenge this morning is whether or not we will do what? Say good words? No, no, no. No, 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 no. What's the challenge this morning? Say good words? No, no, no. What is it? To have a heart that's proven before God so that naturally the words that come out of our mouth are what? Nourishing rather than starving, right? So it starts with our heart and with our relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Father, and we just thank you that you have uh, given us the Holy Spirit who can transform our heart into a proven heart. Father, who can help us to be um, be able to speak in a way that will glorify you, that will bless other people, that will help other people and encourage them. Father, I pray this morning um, that you would bless each one of us and challenge us in our hearts to live and to speak the life that you intend for us to do. Father, I know that, for, I'll just speak for me here, but it's incredibly difficult to speak with the precision and, and, and the integrity that I desire to speak with. And Father, I know it probably is for most of us here. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to transform our heart into your image, Lord, so that we could speak the way that you intend for us to speak. We pray this in Jesus' name.